Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Nothing special today, just uh, going to cover some news. I thought I was just going to read some news articles. No editing, no um, anything. Basically, I'm just going to ramble off what I read on the news here. And I don't know if you like it, you like it. If you hate it, you're probably going to really hate it. But um, I don't know, there's some... I was trying to like find like little topics to talk about and which ones are worth mentioning and this and that. And there seemed to be like a handful as I was going through. And I was like, you know what? How about I offer my audience a lesser quality product instead of like, you know, refining everything, giving them just the facts. (laughs) How about I just make it terrible? Well, I guess that's been the podcast so far anyway, but. No, it's been pretty good here and there. Um, let's see what we got. We have, so I'm going to sciencenews.org and I'm going to go under the life section and just kind of like, I don't know, pick and choose once I want to read about. Uh, okay, let's see. A new saber-toothed mammal was among the first hypercarnivores. So hypercarnivore is basically something that eats only meat and um, probably doesn't have any predators itself and probably cannibalizes to keep their own population down. So what does this article say? Nearly 42 million years ago, a fearsome bobcat-sized creature prowled the forest of what is now Santiago. Unlike most animals at the time, it was a hypercarnivore. Built to eat meat and almost only meat. Oh, pretty pretty cool so far. Can't lie. Um, a newly identified species of mysterious and now extinct. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this word. Um, Mac can mock caroidine family. I butchered that. Listen, I'm not a smart guy. I'm just the guy that likes smart things. Uh, Thought to be the first mammals with saber-like fangs and sharp slicing teeth. Until now, only about a dozen other of these fossils, like of that family, of that word I can't pronounce, have been described, most from Wyoming, but a few from Asia. Paleontologists identified this new predator described March in 15. Cool, so there's like a journal about it. They got a jawbone. Basically, this whole thing is only, I think they only have a jawbone to say this thing exists. Huh. It's pretty cool looking jawbone. Um, The fossil gives away the creature had a long saber-like canine teeth because the bony chin is downturned to protect the fangs. Uh, And there's a gap in the lower teeth to fit them. Uh, Says Ashley Post, or Post. Uh, paleontologists at the San Diego Natural History Museum. The canines themselves weren't recovered. Dang, dude. That'd be pretty cool if you get a canine of like a newly discovered species. Put it in the museum. So, yeah, there's that. Always cool to see a saber-toothed kitty cat added to the uh, history books. Another one in the books now. All right. I'm going to need some water. Um, 
how to make irresistible traps for Asian giant hornets using sex. Interesting title they decided to go with here. Um, clearly, it doesn't actually mean like us having sex. And if it did, could you imagine? Um, let's see. Let's see what this clickbait article has to say. Male Asian giant hornets captivated by chemical signals of ready-to-make queens could one day find themselves stuck in a trap instead. In a new study, scientists have identified three chemicals in the sex pheromone of Asian giant hornet queens. When traps with those chemicals were placed near the hornet's nest uh, in China, part of their native range, the traps ensnared thousands of males, but no other insects. Bon, dun, dun. Research report in March 14 in Current Biology. The finding is a step toward designing uh, pheromone traps, a common tool to monitor or control insect populations for these hornets, says James Nay, a behavioral ecologist at the University of California, San Diego. This is pretty cool. I'm not going to read any more of the article, but um, if you think about this, this is a really interesting way of dealing with pests. If we could apply this sort of idea to other insects that use pheromones, like but that like can that harm human crops. This might be a really good alternative to pesticides and other things that will uh, harm uh, the environment, you know, and the ecosystem and the food chain, and then make their way into us and you know birds and all that stuff. So, you know, I applaud this one. This is a pretty cool article. That's a pretty cool uh, research study. That's actually really beneficial to uh, the environment. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, genetically modified mosquitoes could be tested in California soon. I don't like the sounds of this. This one scares me. And anytime we start messing with nature to like our benefit, I feel like it's going to have all these repercussions we don't know about. And there's going to be a massive backfire. Uh, because historically, that's what we do. Genetically modified mosquitoes might soon be... Uh, on, the, on both the U.S. coast, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has approved two more years of testing genetically modified mosquitoes as living pest controls. Continuing a pilot program started in 2001 in the Florida Keys, expanding it up to four counties in California. Now the Florida and California state governments will consider whether to grant permission. Uh, the male mosquitoes, some like code name or scientific name engineered by biotech company oxitec carry daughter killing genes that get passed generation to generation when these males mate with local females outside the lab only the sons should survive those inheriting the sabotage gene will grow to mate with normal females dooming their daughters too so if you don't know this about mosquitoes the male mosquitoes are these really big large ones that i don't think really bite um and just few of them. And then the female ones are the ones that go around that you find are the tiny ones that are biting us all the time. So this is an interesting, um, this is an interesting idea on how to curb some of these populations. In some places, I guess mosquitoes can be a really big problem, right? Like, uh, they pass on malaria, Zika, you know, yellow fever and a whole, uh, what is it? Tengu? Like there's a whole bunch of different things they spread and that can be very harmful to humans so 
this is a weird thing, right? So it's like this weird balance of nature. We have to sort of, um, we have to help humanity. We have to help civilizations and people and reduce the amount of suffering a lot of people face. Um, but we also have to protect the environment and nature and wildlife. So what could be the repercussions of like, let's say all mosquitoes, like the, let's say this triggers uh, an event of massive decline in mosquito populations. Like what eats the mosquitoes? It's like probably like bats and stuff like that and birds, you know, and if those bats and birds depend on mosquitoes for their most, like a large portion of their sustenance, how does that trickle down into the rest of the food chain and the environment? I figure it probably does and it'll have some negative impact, but we don't like to look that far ahead. But you know what would be interesting? At the last article where you could use the pheromones to attract the females and then you just have really effective traps. I mean, you still are like killing off a bunch of mosquitoes, but if you're just trying to do population control, that's more, I think that might be a better way instead of like dooming them genetically. Uh, yeah, interesting, interesting science nature coming together to make some solutions to complex problems uh what do we got here an extinct rat shows crispr's limits for re resurrecting species i love this i love like crispr and all the potential that has for the future in resurrecting species that we've uh messed up in the past without thinking let's see this here the christmas christmas island rat went extinct in the early 1900s. Editing the genome of a living relative of the rat could create something that looks like the extinct rodent, but it would lack some of the important genes a study finds. Okay. Um, before the early 1900s, if it walked like a Christmas Island rat and talked like a Christmas Island rat, okay, I got to read this differently. Before the early 1900s, if it walked like a Christmas Island rat and it talked like a Christmas Island rat, it was probably a Christmas Island rat. That was my best try at a Joe Pesci. Um, but if one of these now extinct rats ever walks the earth again, it will actually be a genetically modified Norway brown rat. And the rodent won't be as similar uh, to the Christmas Island rat as some would hope a uh, study finds. Okay. This is a, so this is an unoptimistic article about CRISPR and its potential in the future for resurrect, resurrecting species. If you're a regular listener, listener to my podcast, then you probably know I'm a big fan of bringing back woolly mammoths, American camels, um, thylacine, aka the Tasmanian tiger. You know what? Let's even throw in the dodo bird because everyone knows the dodo bird and loves the friggin' dodo bird, even though it's a useless animal. I'm joking. I love the dodo bird, but, um, that whole aspect is called, uh, rewilding. And as we see, um, the earth sort of revert back to ways it was before the ice age where you see all the permafrost melting. Some people think it may perhaps be a good idea to bring in some of these animals to curb some of the, um, things that might be going on in these, uh, terrains that would attribute to climate change um with the so where did i leave off 
With the advent of the gene editing technologies such as CRISPR, scientists have shifted from cloning to genetic engineering as the most promising method for de-extinction or the resurrection of species that have died out. But unlike cloning, genetic engineering wouldn't create an exact replica of an extinct species. Instead, the technique would edit an existing animal's genome so that it resembles that of a desired extinct animal. The challenge is is making that proxy as similar to the extinct species as possible yeah that's basically it um what can i say obviously the more different a species is so an elephant isn't a woolly mammoth it's like it's like saying an like an elephant is no it's like saying a wolf is a fox you can see there's very very big differences or like a chihuahua is a wolf it's it's like, oh, I'm going to gene edit this chihuahua into a wolf. I, I know you're thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm a mammoth and an elephant. They're more similar looking than those two species. Mm, okay, maybe, yeah, they do look similar. But they're actually, if you look at like the what they're, if you look at the skeletons of each animal, you'd realize they're very different uh, in many ways. Very different species. They, and I don't even know if they would be uh, able to interbreed. If they were, I think it would be something like uh, a sterile offspring. I say this without absolutely any knowledge or evidence of the ongoing base purely off speculation. Um, yeah, but Christmas Island rat kind of cool. Half its tail is black. The other half, is, the other leading to the tip is white. Um, it's got kind of like looks like it would have like kind of like some stripes sort of like faint stripes like black stripes and then uh black fur kind of but then a brown fur like underneath black on top brown on bottom a more slender type appearance sort of like a weasel maybe uh i mean bringing them back pretty cool to start It's it's a way to start with a simple species i suppose if they want to bring back uh, camels and mammoths and all that other stuff. I guess you got to start small, very small. And that would be a good way to start. Next article. Mirror beetles, shiny bodies, may not attract as camouflage after all. Or may not act as camouflage after all. Uh, a fake beetle test takes the shine off the idea metallic high gloss can confound predators extreme gleam shows up as such a variety bite-sized animals and such varied wait extreme gleam shows up in such varied bite-sized animals like this golden turquoise beetle found in the americas figuring out why has Figuring out why has had scientists debating the power of mirrors to confuse predators since at least the 1970s. So these are like very shiny beetles. They look metallic. They have a gleam to them. You can see like almost like a reflection. It's basically like looking into a spoon, like a kind of crappy looking spoon to see like a reflection on them. They look really pretty though. Um, I don't even know if I really want to read this article. It looks long winded and I'd, I don't know how well it's written, but I struggled with some of the writing because they don't like to use commas. Um, this is a story about camouflage, but forget mud blob brown 
mealy beige or and somber green. Oh. Here, scientists study mere glitz and paradoxical. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. I don't. You don't care. You don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. What's? I'm going to take a guess what this is about. They think the shine confuses predators. There's evidence in this study to suggest that it doesn't because these things probably still get eaten like crazy by bugs. Who knows what the fuck? It's probably a mating thing for, I don't know, like, uh, for their species. I'm going to summarize that. No clue. You can go check it out on sciencenews.org if you really want to know. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Um, uh, scientists are arguing over the identity of a fossilized 10 armed creature. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I want to know about. I want to know about 10 armed creatures. I want to know. I want to see scientists arguing. I want to see them trying to kill each other over what a species is with 10 arms. I'm joking. I don't want to see them kill each other. Um, scientists are arguing over. Okay. We read that. Uh, the animal may be the oldest octopus ancestor or not. It's looking pretty squiddy to me, or like one of those, uh, you know, Precambrian type things. A 330 million year old cephalopod, cephalopod, fossil, maybe the oldest ancestor to octopuses, or octopi, uh, but... That interpretation hinges on how scientists identify one feature of the fossil. An ancient cephalopod fossil may be about to rewrite octopus history. So all the history that every octopus has ever done up until now, it's going to be completely rewritten. It's like they never existed. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just joking. But it uh, depends on who you ask. At the very least, it's offering up a lesson on how hard it is to classify some fossils. Because their soft bodies decay easily, it's a rare find. Well-preserved fossils of cephalopods, a group that includes octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish. The relatively slim pickings of a fossil have made establishing the animal's family tree a headache for paleontologists. They've just been taking aspirin like crazy to help solve the problems with the headaches of the octopus. Enter this new fossil, an approximately 330 million year old fossil with an exquisitively preserved suckers and 10 arms. The specimen was donated to the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto in 1988 after its discovery in Montana's Bear Gulch limestone, a treasure trove for soft-bodied fossils. A closer look suggests the fossil type of a cephalopod called a vampyropod? Is that like is that like a vampire version of a cephalopod? Because it's got like the suckers. Could you imagine? Holy. Uh, researchers from American Museum of Natural History in New York City report March 10 in Nature Communications. Um, if true, that would make the newly designated species the oldest ancestor of octopuses by about 80 million years this would suggest that some of the ancient octopus featured if features evolved much more quickly than previously thought. This is overturning about a hundred years of science in a cephalopod evolution. Interesting stuff. That's a there's a lot more to this article. I ain't gonna read it. You can't make me. I ain't gonna do it. But um cool. It's cool that like Ontario got that one too. 
they just like ship it off to Canada. The states was just like, we don't know, we don't want this. And like, you guys can argue over this shit. We don't want it. <laughs> like the raw, like they're just like, yeah, send it, send it to Canada. Um, what else can I? I, I think uh, I don't know. I don't know if I got any more articles here for you. I'm at I'm at the 20 minute mark. I could push a bit further for you. I gotta push. I gotta push really hard. I don't know. I'm going to get like long-winded and boring if I haven't already. Um, what do we got here? Some deep sea octopuses. I don't, th- these articles use the word octopuses. I don't like that. I, I want to call them octopi. Uh, aren't the long haul mom scientists thought they were. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, let me, so I'm guessing. I'm not going to read this one either. I'm guessing they these octopus just like dump their eggs and like they kind of learn to fend for themselves and they don't really babysit them that long. A lot of animals do that. You know, sea turtles, for example. Uh, it's not that interesting to me. It's kind of like some animals do that, some animals don't. They exist, so obviously like the way they do it's, you know, working. Um, fish, for example, I don't think stick around. They pretty much die after they spawn. Uh, this this newfound tarantula is the first known to make its home in bamboo. Terrifying, absolutely horrifying. Imagine like you're like cutting, like you cut bamboo for a living. You work on like a bamboo farm or something, and you think it's a relatively safe job, and then all of a sudden, this giant spider tarantula is just crawling on your hand, or you cut it open, and it's just like a whole swarm of babies. I probably quit um what's another one i think i think we might be done here because i i don't know i'm not seeing any more interesting stuff i'm seeing very very boring very boring stuff this is a random article i'll read this one the age of dinosaurs may have ended in springtime fossilized fish from north dakota suggests when the Asteroid strike devastated Earth. An asteroid impact off the coast of Mexico about 66 million years ago triggered devastating flooding at a site in North Dakota at the dino killing strike took place in the spring. So I guess I don't know how they would know this and I'm not going to read the article all the way to know how because I feel like it's just suggestions and like speculation. Um, but if you want to check it out, sciencenews.org. Um... Fossils show a crocodile ancestor dined on a young dinosaur. So, let me see. It looks like they found remains, fossilized remains of a dinosaur with, or ancestor of a crocodile. And it had dinosaur remains in its mouth or stomach. That doesn't surprise me. These these freaking things eat everything in modern day. Of course they eat everything in in the past too they'll like eat each other um how lizards keep detachable tails from falling off well does that need an answer i don't know um a diamond-like structure gives some starfish skeletons their strength i feel like some of these articles it's almost just worth just reading their title and it's kind of like 
gives you like the answer without going more into it. So basically electron microscope images, they looked at the structure straightforward. I don't really know what it means. I guess maybe we could like use that for like making like maybe body armor or something, who knows? Maybe more complex like building, I don't know. Cause nature can do it better than we can. Fossils reveal what may be known as the oldest case of dino sniffles. I, I don't think that's interesting. I don't know why. Uh, what else do we have? What else do we have? Fossil reveals that pterosaurs puked pellets. Huh. 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 I wonder if that's like regurgitation. And uh, they, that's how they like uh, fed their babies and they just put it in like pellet form. So like modern birds, they'll regurgitate food, but um, it won't be in pellets. They'll have to just eat kind of like vomit. So like they literally package the food for their babies. That'd be kind of neat. I could find the answer out probably by reading the article. But if you've noticed a trend right now, I've completely phoned in this podcast and I've given up on reading entirely. Now I'm just making up what it means. <laughs> we're not we're not sharing knowledge today on the podcast. We're spreading disinformation and misinformation, confusion, and um, just like lunacy. There's nothing I can do to help. I I, I I can't. I'm not being competent today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. It's what you get. You got a few good reads. You got 20 minutes. Maybe it helps you go to sleep. Maybe my voice helped. Maybe it didn't. It probably doesn't. If I'm lucky, you listen to this on the car ride to work and you think, what's wrong with this guy? I can't believe I know this guy. I can't believe I listened to this guy. Um, Let's see. Earth may have 9,200 more tree species than previously thought. Okay. Um... That's cool. I like lots of tree diversity. It makes the fall really pretty. Um, that's why the east coast of like Canada and the United States is a little bit better for hiking in the fall, celebrating the fall, you know, autumn, you know, Halloween, those sort of things. It's very more atmospheric. The ambiance is much better. In the west coast, a lot of the trees, eh, mostly alpine, eh, mostly all the same. Eh, you're not getting the the abundance of vibrant colors in the fall. Um, but yeah, cool. More trees. Let's get it going. Um, male elephant seals aim to get huge or die trying. So basically, I guess these guys got to get big or they die. They get eaten. Or maybe it's like a mating thing. I've completely phoned this in. I'm not even going to bother. Okay, let's get, let's get it in here. Let's Let's see what we can do. This seal's got like a tracking device on its head in the picture. Poor little feller. Got a little tracker on you. Um, male northern elephant seal. Services in the North Pacific. The instrument on its head logs the animal's depth and geographic position. He's the coolest animal in the wild. He's the envy of all his peers because he's got a cool hat. Um, if you're a male northern elephant seal... Your car-sized bulk is crucial to your genetic legacy. 
since only a fraction of the very largest males will have access to mates. Now scientists have found that male elephant seals are so driven to eat and grow that they can take on great personal risks and are much more likely than females to die while foraging for food. Damn. So these guys just like, these guys just eat big. Um, and they'll take any risks they need to get that big because if they don't, they're not going to be able to uh, procreate anyway. So it's like, why even live? I admire these uh, fat, disgusting creatures. I wish I could be like them. Um, <laughs> they're not fat. They're kind of cute. But like they're the kind of cute only a mother could love, you know? I don't know. They got kind of like an elephant thing on. I mean, as soon as you have a trunk, like a nostril, like an elephant, it's kind of hard to be cute. You know, there's some like antelope that have that. Like the saiga. I, I love the saiga antelope though. I guess I gotta love the male elephant seal now too. Yeah, if you don't know what a saiga antelope is, just uh, you're gonna have to throw that in Google real quick. It's S A I G A, I think. And then antelope. Yeah, it's a it's a curious looking creature. It looks like it's like a Photoshop. It doesn't look like something you'd find on the planet Earth, but guess what? It's here to stay. Well, actually, I think it's like endangered. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I like that animal. Kind of gone off topic now. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Uh, gory footage confirms orcapods can kill adult blue whales. Well, I guess that's why they're killer whales, right? They are complete lunatics i think i did a podcast before talking about if there was altruism in these pods because they would like kind of help out other whales even though they eat them sometimes or maybe they just decided to leave it alone because it was uh had too many parasites on it but uh who knows a new device helps frogs regrow regrow working legs after an amputation oh technology and nature coming together let's see the treatment spurred limb growth over 18 months i wonder if this animal just naturally regrows it though adult african clawed frogs can't fully regenerate amputated body parts on their own that answers my question but a device holding a chemical cocktail at the wound site oh, pardon me uh cocktail at the wound site coax some of the re coax some to regrow useful limbs i wonder if some of them have like a gene that allows them to and some of them just like don't have it and maybe that was like one of the contributing factors i would have to read this journal in its entirety but um i don't think i'm going to the cells of adult frogs seem to remember how to regrow lost legs and a new chemical kickstarter helps them hop to it Scientists have been seeking ways to spur the body and regrow limbs to help people that have undergone amputation. Like uh, adult humans, fully grown frogs have a limited ability to replace lost body parts. But a new treatment, a device that delivers a drug cocktail, uh, jump starts and improves limb regeneration after amputation in frogs. Uh, researchers report in January 26, Science Advances. 
The cell, the cells of a frog already known to how to make frog legs. Having, could you imagine this is just like one big thing to like make like we like we're just gonna make this frog grow a million legs so we can eat them. Uh, I suppose the chemical compound probably costs more, but that's interesting. Um, if they're doing this so that we could grow it, that'd be friggin' awesome. See, this is where I like when like, you know we're studying like animals and stuff, but we're doing it to like the benefit of people. So like, huh. That'd be cool if we could just like put like a device on the end of our leg and we just like scooch it up every so many like days. And it just like, you know, a few, a few more inches of skin grows, a few more inches of skin grows and like the bones come back. You probably be need to eat a whole lot to compensate for all that um, growth. But, um, I don't know what else we got. What else we got? An Arctic hare traveled at least 388 kilometers in a record-breaking journey. Man, this guy is like a real hero. An Arctic hare similar to this one in Ellesmere Island in northern Canada traveled more than 388 kilometers over seven weeks, the longest distance ever recorded for a hare or its relatives. Man. This guy went long. I think that just me, like, who knows? You ever, see, you ever see those documentaries where, like, the penguins just, like, walk off into the middle of Antarctica to kill themselves? Do you think this maybe what the rabbit was doing? That's crazy. Or maybe he just, like, kept just hopping along. And he just kept finding food and, like, he just kept hopping along. He's like, I'll just keep hopping along. There's more food and just keep hopping, hopping, hopping. Not a single owl or like fox got him. He just kept going. He just trucked. He's a trooper. I'm going to name him Trooper. He probably has a name, but I'm going to call him Trooper. I think I think I'm going to end it here, guys. I could bore you all day, and I'm not going to put you through that torture. So we got a little short episode. Half an hour ain't bad. No one's complaining about a half an hour, you know, free content, free podcast. I guess I'll give you an update, uh, an update on Hank the Tank. Still haven't ended the GoFundMe because I still ain't anywhere near my goal of one thousand. I should really step that up. Uh, so maybe I'll push it another week. You know. Maybe hopefully get, but it's over, you know? So I'm expecting people to donate when basically the, uh, there is an update though. I've read some news articles about Hank the Tank and they think, well, I guess there's three Hanks. They think the three Hanks have kind of like disappeared for mating season. They've, they found love or lovers or something. And they've, they've chilled out on doing B&E's in Tahoe Lake. See, that's a happy ending. But then my speculative mind takes over and I'm like, what if someone like, someone iced them, you know, like took them out. They don't want people to know because of the, the like publicity and stuff. And I'm just like, dang, dude, like that's dark. That's a dark thought to have. So I'm going with like the happy part of it. I don't want it to be 
Yeah. They found love. They lived happily ever after. They decided to turn a new leaf. They decided that the B&Es, that wasn't the life for them. They wanted to live off the land. They wanted to live a natural life. They said they can't be doing this. People are chasing them. You know, they're getting like pop cans stuck in their teeth. They're getting lacerations on their gums. It was horrible. You know, they're putting on all this excess weight. Probably, you know, they probably had like the early signs of diabetes. Paws were going numb. So he had it. They had, they were like, they found love. You know, the girls or guys or whatever they are, like set them straight. They're like, listen, like you need to get to the gym. You look disgusting. You know, you're fat. You need, you need to stop eating pizza and guzzling pop all the time. You know, and one of the Hanks is probably like, you know, probably was probably right you know let's i'm gonna you know start climbing trees more often and swimming in rivers and you know we're gonna eat healthier like salmon and berries and honey and the you know the, the mama bear was just like yeah yeah that's a good idea so they decided probably to move north you know get away from all the people so they're probably in canada now living out a really good life Or not, we don't know, but that's that's the conclusion I want to go with, and that's the conclusion I think a lot of you want. So that's, you know what, I think that's what happened. Um, yeah. So if you want to follow me, uh, like, subscribe, rate, hit the notification bell. There's so many things you can do now with these podcasts. I don't know. Comment. You can comment on some of these platforms um follow it subscribe you i don't even know there's so many things you can do but um yeah if you're a really big fan and you have multiple accounts on multiple podcast listening platforms go ahead do it on all of them you know share and oh the best thing you can do is share it share it with a friend family like-minded individuals um but that's if you think it's good if you think it's terrible then don't like i wouldn't if I thought something was terrible, I definitely wouldn't. I'd be like, nah. Uh, you, but then again, if I thought it was terrible, you probably didn't make it to the end to listen to this. So that should tell you something. If you lasted this long, 40 minutes of your life wasted, then you should probably share it. Like, why not waste everyone around around you's time as well as your own? You know, let's just make it fair for everyone. But you know I'm kidding. Um, I feel like I have to tell that I'm joking because some people won't know. Um, and I don't want people to think I'm a horrible person. I don't know why I care, but I do. Yeah, so that's it. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Epion Explores, all one word. Uh, if you don't know how to spell Epion, you can just look at the title of the podcast. Yeah, it's right in there. Uh, my friends are always ripping on me because like Epion's a made up word kind of but like i say to them aren't all words just made up like we literally just make them up so what they have to be officiated in a like the webster dictionary and only those words are real words i don't think so come on it's got a definition in urban dictionary and it's pretty badass but it's also kind of like emo but like it's badass too let's bring it up let's see if we can get it here epion definition urban whoops urban dictionary the place where all made up words uh go to become real words eventually 
No, I can't. Oh, I'm not going to be able to find it, am I? Um, dun, 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 dun. Let's see what we got here. Ah. Yes. A measurement of time that is consumed with pain and death. Dang, dude. Dang, dude. Um, what's another definition from Urban Dictionary for it? An era in time where death and immortality flourishes. A little bit more optimistic, but you know, you know pain and death is like a very big thing in nature. It's a it's part of the cycle. It's the other side of the coin, you know. Things must die so others will live. Wherever you find life, you also find death. It's uh, it's kind of cool like that. I don't know about immortality flourishing. Where, well, actually, okay, that kind of makes... If you believe in like spirituality, I guess that makes sense. Every time where death and immortality flourish. Yeah, I guess as, as things die, they become immortal if you're spiritual. So it's kind of a very cool definition. I like it. So we're in the nature's epion. The nature of life and immortality. You know, sometimes this podcast likes to go into like the supernatural, spiritual, paranormal. Because that stuff's fun. But you know what? Real life's also fun. Like a lot of these articles I thought were pretty freaking cool. We're basically living in a science fiction world when it comes to some of the science now. that we're, so, we're making some pretty decent advances. I can't wait for the future. Okay. I've wasted enough of your time. Goodbye.